2008, Aurora, Texas. As storm clouds threatened in the distance, a team of UFO hunters peered into the Oates family well. Then they prepared to excavate it. This was no small task. Around 50 years ago, the family patriarch, Brawley Oates, had sealed the well off because he believed the water in it was contaminated by radioactive metal. The investigators agreed with his conclusions. Like Oates, they thought the metal came from an 1897 UFO crash, but they couldn't verify their findings unless they descended into the well and collected samples for testing. Held aloft by a cable, one investigator journeyed down the narrow shaft. He moved as quickly as he could, but his heavy hazmat suit made the maneuvers challenging in the thin passage. As he got closer to the muddy water, the team watched with bated breath. If he found what they were hoping for, they'd have the holy grail for UFO hunters. Proof that over a hundred years ago, aliens came to Texas. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our final episode on the Aurora UFO incident, in which an otherworldly airship supposedly plummeted into a Texas small town in 1897. Last time, we told the story of the spaceship crash that scattered debris across a farm in Aurora, Texas. Amid the fiery wreckage, locals uncovered a small alien body 76 years later, in 1973, a pair of UFO hunters visited Aurora to investigate the stories. This episode will follow the investigators as they gather clues and search for answers. We'll discuss the metal scraps they gathered in Aurora and the baffling findings they produced in labs. Finally, we'll cover what really lay at the bottom of the Oates family well. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. In the early hours of April 17, 1897, the citizens of Aurora, Texas, marveled as a strange craft flew over their town. This was six years before the first manned airplane flight, and no one had ever seen anything like it. Before their eyes, the ship collided with Judge J.S. Proctor's windmill and exploded. Journalist S.C. Hayden reported on the crash in the Dallas Morning News. Though the story generated a few days of publicity, it quickly faded into the background. Eventually, the aircraft became little more than local lore. But 76 years later, in 1973, ufologist Hayden Hughes stumbled across the original article. Intrigued, he issued a press release announcing an expedition to Aurora. This caught the attention of Bill Case, an aviation reporter for the Dallas Times-Herald and member of the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON. This group studied alleged extraterrestrial incidents so Case was a natural fit to investigate the case. He followed Hughes' lead and drove to Aurora. The case had major implications for ufologists like Hughes and Case. It happened in the days before spy planes and experimental government craft, before weather balloons and drones. Even airplanes didn't exist yet. Usually, UFO skeptics chalked sightings up to these phenomena. But the usual suspects wouldn't be used to discredit the Aurora sightings. But Hughes and Case still faced a major challenge. They had to prove the crash actually happened. As soon as they reached the Proctor farm, they met the current owner, Brawley Oates. He was elated. He believed irradiated metal in the well had contributed to family health problems over the years. If the investigators found a real alien vessel on his land, it would support his suspicions. Oakley opened the gates and directed the investigators to the well, but it was a lost cause. Even working together, the three couldn't remove the concrete and brick barrier from the top. With Brawley's permission, Case and Hughes turned their attention to the rest of the farm, searching for evidence. Using metal detectors, they walked slowly across the property. Much of what they discovered was junk, Shotgun casings, silver dollars from the 1850s, and old cookware. But they discovered a few lightweight scraps that defied easy explanation. Some pieces of metal were wrapped around rocks and other objects. The investigators inferred that they must have been very hot if it warped this much on impact. Hughes and Case suspected these metal pieces had flown off a craft during an explosion, but they still didn't know what the vessel was or where it had come from. To determine that, they'd need to examine its lone passenger. With help from an Aurora town elder, Case located the alien's supposed grave. Under a gnarled oak tree at the south end of the town cemetery, he found an unremarkable rock that reportedly marked the burial site. 
When they ran their metal detector over the plot, it gave the same readings it had with the strange metal pieces at the Proctor farm. It seemed there was metal here, specifically the same metal that had come from the wreck. Now, they just had to exhume the body. Case and Hughes needed approval from the Aurora Cemetery Association to access the grave, but they immediately denied Hughes and Case's request. Case and Hughes were hitting a dead end, and their investigation was about to take a turn for the strange. Soon after the Aurora Cemetery Association turned them down, all the shards they'd gathered at Proctor's farm went missing, as did the headstone that marked the pilot's alleged grave. We don't know who removed the key clues. It could have been a prankster or an accident. But Hughes and Case never managed to recover the materials, suggesting something more sinister was afoot. It seemed someone was interfering with their investigation. This apparently spooked the Aurora Cemetery Association. They told the investigators to stay away from the graveyard. They reportedly hired overnight guards to ensure the team didn't sneak in after dark. So Case and Hughes were worse off than when they'd started. They had no physical evidence and were banned from the graveyard. But there was still one avenue available to them. They could contact eyewitnesses, and a few town elders were willing to share their stories. 91-year-old Mary Evans was just a teenager when the ship crashed. When Case questioned her, she admitted she never saw the collision site. Her parents wouldn't let her go. But she heard about it through the grapevine. 98-year-old G.C. Curley was 22 when the crash occurred, and he had a similar story. He didn't live in Aurora, but friends told him about the incident. He heard onlookers had gathered bits of debris made of some mysterious compound nobody could identify. It wasn't like any metal produced in America back then. Both these accounts lined up with S.C. Hayden's original article, our primary source for what happened that day. And history was about to repeat itself. In 1973, Bill Case published several pieces on his investigation in the Dallas Times-Herald. Other newspapers across the country picked up the account. Before long, Aurora was overrun with reporters, scientists, and rubbernecking tourists. Everyone wanted a piece of the story, but the wave of interest may have done more harm than good. The visitors' disorganized investigations may have destroyed the key pieces of evidence, erasing any surviving proof of alien visitors. Coming up, the Aurora alien becomes a national sensation. They're role models, nurturers, and to many, the ultimate best friend. But what happens when Mommy Dearest has a dark side, one that's more criminal than caring? Find out in the Spotify original from Parcast, Malicious Moms. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of Malicious Moms. Every Sunday on Spotify, join me for a closer look at the moms who took their maternal instincts to illegal extremes. A beloved actress who would do anything for her child. A jilted ex who used her kids to take deadly revenge. Plus, a wife, a mistress, and an altercation with an axe you have to hear to believe. 
In this podcast collection, learn the dire lengths some women went to help their children and how others used motherhood to carry out their misdeeds. Sometimes true crime can be a real mother. Follow Malicious Moms free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. In 1973, ufologist Hayden Hughes and reporter Bill Case reported on the Aurora crash. Their articles became huge sensations as the national press picked up the story. The country's attention turned to Aurora, a place that just a few years earlier had come close to disappearing completely. Drawn in by spectacular tales of extraterrestrial spaceships and strange alien gravesites, tourists descended on the town. Before long, Raleigh Oates' grandson began charging out-of-towners a dollar to tour the big sites, the family farm, the well, and the pilot's grave. Some entrepreneurial townsfolk even sold scrap metal to tourists by the roadside. More than a few visitors snuck into the cemetery at night and tried to dig up evidence. Others simply broke off pieces of gravestones, any gravestone, to take home as souvenirs. Citizens grew frustrated with out-of-towners swarming their homes and desecrating their burial yards. But more playful members of the community leaned into the excitement, even giving the spaceman a name, Ned. Each day of coverage and every new finding brought new developments. One of the most promising revelations centered on a few scraps of metal, which were only about six inches in length. They'd been discovered by a biology professor at the University of North Texas. Not sure what he was dealing with, the biologist brought his findings to Dr. Tom Gray, a physics professor at North Texas State University. Gray agreed to look at the samples. His tests showed the metal had some zinc in it, but it was 75% iron. And it was unlike any iron he'd ever encountered. When Dr. Gray placed the pieces next to a magnet, they didn't move an inch, even though iron was supposed to be drawn to the poles. He called the finding puzzling. Additionally, the metal was soft and glossy, in contrast with iron's typical brittle, dull texture. It was shaped like a droplet of splattered liquid. Dr. Gray theorized the metal had melted at an intense heat, as if it was part of a spaceship that had plummeted through the atmosphere. When he released his findings, the media drew the obvious conclusion. This metal may have come from another world. But then Dr. Gray issued a follow-up that failed to generate as much public excitement. He'd visited a metallurgist at a nearby lab who explained iron alloys could be non-magnetic, depending on how they were forged and cooled. This sample was pretty typical. Nothing exciting. But even though Dr. Gray's findings weren't out of this world, other investigators found new evidence every day. 
In April 1973, MUFON investigators sent out another unusual piece of shrapnel they found at the farm. This silvery reflective piece was about the size and shape of an acorn. MUFON brought the piece to an aerospace laboratory that specialized in analyzing aircraft metals for flaws. They ran it through a machine that used X-ray emissions to determine the composition of the material. The analyzer found the shrapnel was 95% ultra-pure aluminum and 5% iron. This mixture requires ultra-sophisticated refining techniques that didn't exist in 1897. In fact, this kind of metal wasn't produced in the United States until over a decade after the crash. There were only two possibilities. The metal was created in 1907 at the earliest and had nothing to do with the collision. Or the explanation that was more alluring to the ufologists, the metal was produced by highly sophisticated creatures on another planet. To be safe, MUFON sought a second opinion from Anastas Labs in Houston, Texas. They studied the metal and came to the same conclusion. It was an aluminum-iron blend that was too advanced to have been made in 1897. And at some point, it had been hot enough to melt. This was exciting, of course. But still, nobody had studied the one piece of evidence that could prove whether an alien had visited. Ned. Bill Case still wanted to exhume the body. He and other researchers appealed to the Aurora Cemetery Association again. And once more, he was rejected. The president of the board didn't believe in UFO crashes or visitors from outer space. And he wanted nothing to do with an apparent hoax. It didn't help that grave robbers and vandals were still breaking into Aurora's cemeteries. MUFON's research only seemed to encourage them. So the association secured a court-approved injunction against any and all UFO-based research on cemetery grounds. Now, the investigators weren't just banned by cemetery policy. They could be arrested for entering. Hughes considered defying the ban and digging anyway, but the Cemetery Association made it clear that if he did, he'd be charged with criminal trespassing. This was enough to deter him. By the end of the summer, Case and Hughes' leads had dried up. Defeated, the investigators left town, pursuing other UFO mysteries. But for better or worse, Aurora's reputation as a possible UFO crash site stuck. Over the following decades, magazines sent reporters to investigate the crash. Meanwhile, Aurora locals grumbled whenever the story picked up steam and outsiders flocked to town again. Then in 2008, a team from the History Channel's UFO Hunters TV show became interested in the story. And unlike other investigators, they had the technology and the resources to unseal Brawley Oats Well and examine the wreckage inside it. The crew began by digging around the foundation of the brick structure around the old well. Then they used a forklift to completely lift it off the ground. As it rose and swung out of their way, investigators finally had access. They just had to go down it. Investigator Patrick Uskert put on a chemical protection suit. His team didn't know for sure whether the water was contaminated, so the investigators took as many precautions as possible. 
Secured by a rope and pulley, Uskert descended into the well. When he reached the bottom, he stood almost waist-deep, scraping together samples. This was no easy feat. His helmet visor obstructed his view, and the dark water made it impossible to see exactly what he was gathering. After a few minutes of collecting, the team hoisted Patrick back to the surface and looked through his findings. Soil samples, rocks, and a small container of water to inspect for toxins. Patrick hadn't found any metal pieces, but the water contained unusually high levels of aluminum. This suggested there had once been metal pieces in the well, which were possibly removed later. Even though it was high in aluminum, the water was still safe to drink. Whatever had afflicted Brawley Oats and his family, it probably didn't come from the well water. But the crew didn't identify the toxin. When they wrapped up the excavation, they still hadn't found any irrefutable evidence of alien visitors. And maybe there was a reason for that. Since the Aurora UFO crash, new evidence has come out about the reporter who first brought the incident to the world's attention. And allegations suggest the entire narrative was a well-crafted hoax. Coming up, we debate what happened in Aurora. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now back to the story. After the Aurora UFO crash in 1897, several groups suggested the ship was extraterrestrial in origin. They found metal composites that shouldn't have existed at the time of the collision, and a TV crew found heavy concentrations of aluminum in a local well. But nobody ever produced a smoking gun that could prove aliens were behind the incident. More than 125 years have passed since the crash, Today, the eyewitnesses are all dead, and any physical evidence that remains has been stolen or contaminated. Even if the Aurora Cemetery Association permitted excavation of the gravesite now, it's unlikely the search would yield anything useful. The body is likely too decomposed to produce any scientific data today. We're left with just the facts reported by S.E. Hayden, Bill Case, and Hayden Hughes. And without any definitive hard evidence, many believe the UFO crash was merely a hoax. That's what Aurora's town historian, Etta Peguis, believed. She literally wrote the book on the UFO incident, a slim volume called The Town That Might Have Been. And the arguments she published all debunked the 1897 crash. Etta claimed Judge Proctor had no windmill on his property. That's a key point, since the airship supposedly crashed into the windmill before disintegrating. And survey maps from that time period back up this argument. None of them mention a windmill or any other structure that might be confused for one. And yet, both Brawley Oates and the 2008 investigation team found metal studs in the ground around the well. This suggested something must have stood there. 
Perhaps the maps were mislabeled, or printed before the windmill was built, or after it was knocked down. Etta's other arguments were harder to refute, though. She learned S.E. Hayden, who wrote the first article on the UFO incident, was only a part-time journalist. He earned most of his income from cotton trading. And Hayden had a big personality. Apparently, he loved practical jokes. There are clues in the article that indicate the whole incident was a prank. For example, one of Hayden's key sources was T.J. Weems, a signal service officer in the Army who was described as an astronomy expert. But T.J. Weems was actually the town blacksmith, not a member of the U.S. military. And there's also no evidence he had any advanced knowledge of astronomy. The prank scenario feels more likely when you consider the eyewitnesses Hughes and Case interviewed. As a reminder, Mary Evans never saw the crash site, but she heard rumors about it afterward. And G.C. Curley didn't even live in Aurora at the time of the UFO incident. He only remembered his neighbors discussing it later. Maybe Hughes and Case never found first-hand witnesses because there were none. The entire sighting was concocted by Hayden. He may not have meant any harm with the hoax. Given Aurora's many problems, Hayden might have thought his sense of humor could save the town. Word of an alien visitor would certainly draw tourists. In the long term, Hayden was right. It took three quarters of a century, but his article did eventually generate massive interest in Aurora. On the other hand, some parts of Hayden's article were based on real news. He talked about the wave of airship sightings throughout the U.S. That was a real nationwide phenomenon. And the metal found around Judge Proctor's farm raises a lot of questions. It couldn't have been made in 1897. That technology didn't exist on Earth. Plus, it all melted and then cooled in a way that was consistent with some kind of explosive crash. Plus, there was just too much metal for it to have been planted. It's hard to say much for sure, but it seems likely Proctor did have a windmill that fell in some catastrophic encounter. But this doesn't mean it was hit by an alien spaceship. It could have been destroyed by a tornado or an ordinary house fire. A local reporter may have decided to spin something fun out of the tragedy. If he stretched the truth a little, at least the locals might get a laugh out of it. And for the people of Aurora, the story meant something. Over the decades, the incident became the town's identity. Driving into Aurora today, visitors pass a welcome sign adorned with miniature UFOs. In town, you can dine at establishments with names like Crash Site Cafe and The Smoking Windmill. It's clear the locals have embraced their home's reputation as a UFO destination. When Aurora, Texas stood at the brink of extinction, they relied on a story for salvation. They overcame decades of misfortune, perhaps because of the tales the townspeople told themselves. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. 
For more information on the Aurora UFO incident, amongst the many sources we used, we found the MUFON report on the subject and the History Channel's UFO Hunters episode extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Thomas Dolan Gavitt with writing assistance by Amber Hurley and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. For many, Sunday is a special day spent with family. That makes it the perfect time to check out the Spotify original from ParCast, Malicious Moms. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every Sunday in this ParCast collection, join me for an intimate look at the matriarchs who were far more criminal than caring. Warning, this isn't your mother's podcast. Follow Malicious Moms free and only on Spotify. Spotify.